This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. Security controls fail everywhere. They fail constantly, and worst of all, they fail silently. That's why you need Attack IQ, the leading automated insights platform to continually validate your defenses. Better insights, better decisions, and real security outcomes. Get it all with Attack IQ. Plus, check out the Attack IQ Academy for free cybersecurity training featuring the good people here at Hacker Valley Studio. Register today at academy.attackiq.com and let them know Hacker Valley Studio sent you. Welcome back to the Hacker Valley Studio podcast. In this episode, we have Chani Sims. Her story is so incredible. You might have seen her on a very popular TED Talk, but she gets into her background and just exactly how she got into cybersecurity. So without further ado, let's jump right into the episode. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again. And it's always great to be speaking with people that are trying to strive to make an impact. And we have someone that is making an impact in her community, an impact in cybersecurity as a whole. This episode, our guest is Chani Sims. Managing Director of Meta Defense Labs and Founder and Chief Architect of She CISO Exec. Chani, when we saw your TEDx uh, presentation, we knew we had to have you on the podcast. It's a true pleasure to speak and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course, Chani. I feel like we've been dancing around each other for the last two years or so. First, I was exposed to you through LinkedIn, and then, of course, your incredible TED Talk. But for the folks that don't know who you are just yet, would love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. Yeah, sure. So I'm based in the UK. My day job is I'm the co-founder and managing director of Meta Defense Labs. We are a cybersecurity consultancy firm. We are also an authorized certification body for UK government Cyber Essentials, Cyber Essentials Plus, ISME Consortium certifications. So apart from that, I also consult to my clients as a GDPR consultant and as a virtual CISO. And I also work as an ISO 27001 auditor, Cyber Essentials Plus assessor, and I'm a judge for IC Squared Awards. And I'm also the founder of SheCISO Exec, which is a give back platform. We have a huge global community. We try to empower emotionally intelligent cybersecurity leaders. And I also do volunteer work. A lot of my volunteering goes to the SheCISO platform. So that's pretty much kind of my day jobs. <laughs> and I've been in the industry for about 19 years now. I started as a techie, IT engineer and worked my way up to becoming specialized in security. But my first exposure to IT was more around IBM service, uh, System X to pretty much x86 platforms and working around blade centers, high performance infrastructures, then data centers to designing, implementing and migrating. A lot of projects around big clients, 
globally. And I was so interested in how IT works and projects work. So I was trained into becoming a consultant. And one of the things that happened when I got dragged into was after I left IBM, I was consulting to some of the companies in this London city. And my friends at the time, well, work friends, colleagues decided, why are we doing this work for you know, other companies, why, why don't we start our own company and uh, do this ourselves? I was so naive, I got dragged into it. And then we founded Meta Defense Labs. And little knowing, <laughs> it was kind of an unexpected move because I was quite happy doing the consultancy job on my cushy contract rate. But <laughs> <laughs> then I got suddenly dragged into, you know, these two techies, another engineer saying, oh, why don't we do this? And then we had to figure out how to run a business and a startup. And it was very unexpected. And uh, suddenly I was managing the company and then we had to, you know, figure out how to do business. So that's how we started. And then we evolved into, so I had to pretty much go out there and try and figure out how to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> which I'm really miserable at. Uh, <laughs> um, and my one of my mentors was like, Charlie, you need to pick up the phone and call the people. <laughs> so I said, okay, <laughs> let's try that. Then I, I, I pick up the phone and rang one company, random company, and I say, can I speak to your CISO, your IQ manager? <laughs> I want to I wanna see how I can be a supplier. And it's like, oh my God, I got blasted by the receptionist. Oh wow! Like saying you you cold calling and did, I was like I was so destroyed. I was like oh my oh, god, wow. it's horrible. No more calling. <laughs> I'm not going to call people. Um, this is not going to work. And that was it. So somehow we survived <laughs> because we had a good network <laughs> who trusted us. That was my journey, really. And then I I've been doing that, and we eventually became a certification body. I'd love to take a dive into your earlier life. Anyone that's seen your TED Talk, and and if you haven't, I invite you to please go watch it because the the beginning stage of your life is so powerful and impactful, seemingly on your cybersecurity career. I'd love if you could share with us a little bit about your early life and how that shows up for you in cybersecurity today. Yeah, it's the first time I spoke about my earlier life, uh, and that was on TED platform. Boy, that was, uh, it was emotional because I've never spoken about it. And my mom was on the stage, and last thing I wanted to do was to upset my mom. I was born in Sri Lanka, I grew up in Sri Lanka, and uh, a lot of my family are attached to military and the police. My father was a police officer my grandfather. And I think when uh, in the 80s, there was like dark times because there was a civil war and there were so many problems, political issues. And we had to kind of move around with wherever my dad goes, pretty much. Wherever he get transferred, we would go as well. Sometimes we don't, we just stay in one place. And uh, where I used to live, we we lived in a uh, my dad used to work in, in the capital and we were staying in a power, it's a hydropower station. And that's why I talk about in the TED talk, there was some civil unrest at the time. And every morning when we sometimes go to school, they tell us to not to look out, just bend our head mm. down and then close our eyes because there's bodies burning on tires. It was wow. called the JVP. Uh, what had happened was I think 
it was the military either we don't know exactly who was burning them we were told that it was the military burning these you know terrorists or whatever but there were a lot of young people who died like that and sometimes you know if you're a mil- person in the military or if you're a person in the forces it's even dangerous because these terrorists would come and kill you and uh, my uncle got killed like that that was the mm. first attack where my mom's brother as my childhood goes that's kind of one of my first memories actually um i remember going to that funeral uh, it was a suicide bomber i think who attacked the police station and the whole everyone died and my uncle was one of them he was in charge of that station and uh, everyone died certainly that's kind of one of my first memories of my childhood and i was terrified to kind of see a dead body lying in the middle of their house you know and my one of my biggest nightmares was to just see my parents end up like that and i don't think my family was spoke about it but uh in in the open but this i know they all suffered uh my grandmother was paralyzed just after that because she couldn't take it and she had a stroke and uh, i know my mom also suffered because the whole family was kind of destroyed mentally when someone loses and he was a quite powerful person in the family and and also in the the country and that was quite bad and his children suffered his wife suffered everyone of us suffered and that was just the start and then it just got worse and worse i i lost another uncle and people i knew and and when you hear these stories one of the really bad things they do is like um they publish these pictures and stories on media they don't really think how it affects the families who sees these pictures and you know once you see that kind of thing you you don't forget that forever right it stays in your mind and every time my father goes out to the, the outstation areas where the war is happening we are terrified because we don't know whether he's going to come back home or not and i remember my mom would keep praying and doing all she can do to just make sure that he comes home and we were the same and one time they tried to kill him he ended up in accident broke his collarbone and he was at home he was lucky that he didn't die but they did try attempt uh, to kill him at one point and uh, that was that and then there were curfew all sorts of things and we had two dogs one was poisoned one was kasama got out in the night time was bitten by a snake and we we had to take him to the vet but there was no vet the all the vets were told not to open their clinics if they open they come and kill you so everything was closed so you can't treat the puppy so i remember taking it to the hospital and then there was no vet so anybody to treat it and it just died in back of a car and that just traumatized the whole family i think then then my parents were like when are we having a puppy again or a pet or a dog or anything uh, that was that and we didn't have dogs until like recently and you hear all these stories just and then life still happened we were going to school we were doing all the other things and then there's the war that was going on and but my whole family was kind of always whenever my father goes out to these areas everyone's just so worried and scared and you live with that fear pretty much most of my childhood was like that uh, terrified and it's that's why i will say that i was taught to operate in zero trust i was taught never mm-hmm. trust anybody you know I was not even allowed to stay in a relative's home. It was dangerous times. And we were privileged enough to have some stuff. There were people who, the whole family is getting killed. And there was not really support to people. Yeah, it was very dark times. Finally, they ended the war. But it's still like, I don't think that 
people ever recovered from that. Can't imagine. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a lot to take in, especially for a young person going through that with your uncle and even your community, you know, not being able to look out your school bus window and just knowing what is going on in the back of your mind, like, hey, this is what is happening all around me. You know, I from stories like this, there's often like a place that people go to recover from this trauma to kind of escape it was was technology that that thing for you that helped you kind of push these types of things out i always as i grew up i mean as i became a teenager we we've had very few choices to kind of do you either become an accountant a lawyer or a, a doctor right mm-hmm. You know, science, commerce, bio, or mathematics. Those kind of were the topics. You have to do your A-levels before you do anything. And you had to go to the university. That's kind of the culture. I think the that's pretty typical Asian culture, I think. And if you're not one of those professions, <laughs> you're not good enough, sort of. <laughs> so <laughs> so my father thought I should be a accountant. And I was like, no, I don't want to be a accountant. <laughs> But he, he put me into a garden, which I miserably failed. Something that gave me really hope was this billboard. As I was traveling to school, I kept seeing this IBM billboard about with this woman on her laptop. And at the time, it was like, laptop is a luxury to have, right? Right. You know, if you get a desktop, you're lucky. <laughs> Having a laptop was like, oh, gosh, you know, kids never get that kind of thing, even the normal people. So I thought, that's so cool. I want to do that. And it's something different. To, you know, I never wanted to be a doctor or accountant or whatever, lawyer. So I thought I want to do computer uh, studies and I want to work for this company. I've always wanted to work for IBM. When I saw that billboard and I finished my degree and then I got my first job at IBM Colombo, actually. I was so lucky. Whoa. <laughs> it was not a technical job, but it was still, you know, great. <laughs> <laughs> And I did work for a few companies after that. I studied AS400 systems and all of that, but they wouldn't accept me as a permanent staff member because I didn't have a degree. That was a requirement at the time. You have to have a degree to join IBM. And at the time also, I I kind of, I never felt I belong in that country for some reason. I felt like I want to explore a bit more and the culture is such that they judge you for every little thing you do and mm-hmm. without really kind of figuring out why you're doing this. And I didn't like that mentality. Plus, I had curfew, you know, my father wouldn't let me go out to parties. This is very strict. And uh, I thought, oh my God, I need to get out of this place because I'm like, you know, it, that was kind of my ex- escape plan. And... Um, so I thought I want to do a degree in computer science. I started a degree in with BCS and doing some studies while I was working, uh, but that didn't really excite me or get me anywhere. And then uh, I found this degree program in, in Newcastle in the UK, and I thought maybe I should go and do the degree there properly, be a proper student rather than working. And I can manage to convince my dad, and uh, so I... I came to do the study and that's kind of how. And then I got to job at IBM somehow. And the way I, we were supposed to have like a placement year or part-time. And I ended up working for IBM again and, and Procter & Gamble, which was quite a nice experience. I never liked student-type jobs. It was not mean me. My first job uh, when I came to UK was with the ASTA checkout. You know where you go and sit on the till and pass items? 
Mm-hmm. Check out assistant. That was what I was. Oh my god, that was just so horrible. Mm. I just I didn't even last two months there. It's like no, so this I can't do it. And and then I end up in IBM again. First it was Procter and Gamble, and then I worked for IBM. And I finished my degree. So I've always wanted to kind of work in the computer field. My degree was in uh, computer science. There were a lot of programming stuff and internet security, but I don't think I used much of that knowledge to be honest. What was it about that billboard that sent you on this entire journey? Like, what what was it about that billboard that spoke to you? At the time, it was something different. You know, it's not the normal things you see every day. Like I said, laptop was very new. And seeing a woman, because you always see men with computers and stuff, and then seeing a woman kind of gave me, hey, actually, I can do this. You know, because the, the norm was like, you're either to sort of become an accountant, lawyer, or doctor. And if you can't be one of those, get married to a doctor. That's the mentality of your grandparents and your parents. Mm, Right. And that sucks, you know? I I never was one of those. I think I was a tomboy. I think I am a tomboy. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to be that, uh, you know, housewife uh, approach. My mom was never. She was a working woman. And uh, that different approach, I think that's what kind of attracted me to that industry. There's a phrase that I hear sometimes, and especially now more than ever, now that we have such a push towards diversity and including underrepresented groups. And that phrase is, you can't be what you can't see. I'm sure just seeing this woman on a billboard with this laptop was truly empowering, whether she was doing anything on the laptop or not, just seeing someone at the seat, you know, having that seat at the table. It's been like that for me in some ways. You know, when I first got my start, my career in cybersecurity, I didn't really have many people that looked like me. I especially didn't have Chris in my life at that point in time. But, you know, now there's so many examples around me. There's so many ways that I could be an example for others. Mm -hmm. What has been something that's been surprising, you know, being one of the women in cybersecurity and technology, what has surprised you along this journey? You're so right about that phrase. And there's another phrase called, um, you don't know what you don't know, right? And sometimes we think that we know everything we've explored, but until you see something different, you you suddenly realize, oh, actually, I didn't know about this, right? Mm -hmm. And that was kind of one of those things where I was ready to explore what is out there for me. I was bored with what I see every day and I wanted to kind of get out there and see things. And something I, when I came to the UK, something I didn't know was that there is a thing called diversity and uh, racism. Those things didn't really cross my mind. I didn't know those existed. It was new to me when I had to tick that box, you know, where, you know, when you apply for a job, it asks you what religion you are, what race and ethnic background you are from all of that. I was like, why do you need to need, know these kind of things? Right. right. Yeah. I felt uncomfortable as well as just didn't like it. And, I, and then I realized actually there's a problem. The reason they're asking these things is because they want to either do something about it or they want to get the statistics. I was always confused with that kind of thing. It was eye-opener to see. And then when I was on the field and I started realizing that I am the only woman most of the time in that project. Most of the time it was nice. It was different. But when there's people who doesn't know how to deal with a woman and it's problems. 
it was uh, i think we still have that problem here i mean even now a lot of my clients i often very hardly find women in there so i try and grab as many i can to kind of include and you know have a diverse team mm-hmm. but it's still it's still not there yet. i mean this is like 19 20 years ago now yeah it's still we still have a lot to do when you think about diversity and you, you think about different populations and different populations, whether you're a man or a woman or you're from a different cultural background, you have these obstacles that stand in your way. And one of the things that we can always lean on and something we always talk about on our podcast is our superpower. What is the thing that we do so well in our life for other people, for ourselves? What would you say your superpower is? I think my superpowers, I was never one to say, hey, I'm minority. I am woman. I was never the one. I just got on with what I have to do. If I have a problem, I find the solution and I got on with what it is. I I never like to kind of, you know, uh, highlight myself. Even if you look at the boxes, I am minority. I'm a woman. Just a list goes on. I don't even pay attention to these kind of things. I just got on with whatever it is I have to do. And then unless someone tells me in my face, like, oh, you are this person, therefore I'm treating you bad. I never even identified some of these things because I never really thought of that. My superpower would have been like people who knows me notice. Whenever I'm with different groups, <laughs> uh, my accent changes. When I used to live in Newcastle, I I, I thought I was a Geordie. <laughs> if, I, if I'm with a bunch of Sri Lankans, I have a Sri Lankan accent. Then if I'm with a bunch of Indians, I probably have Indian accent. If I'm with a bunch of, you know, Americans, then I probably speak an American accent. I never saw people for their color or race or that kind of thing. I just blend in and I try and get the things done I need to do. So I always see in grayscale. That's how I try to blend in. I don't try to kind of differentiate myself. It it doesn't really help, you know, like, you know, say, hey, I'm the only whatever in the village kind of approach doesn't work. I just blend in. Yeah, make friends. I think that is kind of my superpower. I don't see that kind of thing until someone actually pointed it in my face. (laughs) (laughs) That's a really great superpower to have. When I've visited other countries, you know, the communities, they really love when I take uh, a, a shot at trying to, you know, fit into their culture, fit into their language, fit into their to their community. And yeah. I think that's also part of developing a rapport, you know, speaking the same language as someone, kind of using their gestures or their language to make them feel comfortable. But I think that's also part of emotional intelligence, you know, being aware enough with yourself mm-hmm. and with others to make that connection. One of the uh, quotes that I love is the technical skills get you the job, but the emotional intelligence get you the the promotion yeah what do you think about that no i so agree i mean it's technical knowledge is just a commodity and your soft skills are the ones that you know get you somewhere think like a global citizen you know we are in the digital age uh, we don't have to be certain type certain person to do a job somewhere else right and i i always think like a global citizen because i don't feel like i'm belonging to one place like i come from sri lanka i grew up in sri lanka i live in uk i don't know i'm more british than sometimes sri lankan and then i go to south africa i love south africa so i try and live between these countries and they have totally different cultures i kind of think like a global citizen in that way i 
I, I feel like I belong everywhere and I can integrate with any culture. I don't like to group myself into a one particular section or group. So I think emotional intelligence has helped me a lot. Uh, technical skills, all you need is to go on a week's course, play with the technology, do some work, and then, hey, you become expert. You know, it's, it's a matter of months. You can be an expert on technolo- uh, technical skills. But soft skills, emotional intelligence skills, you can't. Every day you learn something new. And especially with emotional intelligence, uh, it has really helped me because it has helped me to understand about myself, how I feel, what I'm going through right now, and then help me manage how I react to things and uh, respond to certain things. And also then going into understanding other people's empathy, kindness, because we need to put ourselves in other people's shoes. Sometimes we can't. Then kind of managing relationships. For me, trust plays a huge element. If I can't trust someone, uh, there's no relationship. So for me to build solid relationships, I need to be able to trust that person to a certain level. And I don't trust anyone 100%, but it needs to have very high levels of in, the, in my scale, sort of. And, and emotional intelligence really helps me to build that uh, approach. Say, for example, if we, it can't be a professional relationship, just a friend or your partner or anyone. When you have a conflict, when you don't like what the other person is saying, and if you feel uncomfortable or angry or upset, you need to be able to identify what you're feeling and then go back to that person and clarify why you're saying this. What is the reason behind this? You know, how can I make this better? Or have I done something? To have a good relationship, you need to have that mutual understanding. Now, to be able to do that, you need to be able to understand your own feelings, understand how you want to react, and also understand where that person's coming from. Then your soft skills, your communication skills, uh, how you communicate, the context, the tone really matters. And uh, especially when you're a woman, I've seen this quote somewhere. I can't remember who said this. It just say, everyone likes a strong woman until you meet one. Mm. Sometimes it can be interpreted in a wrong way, you know, especially for us women. Like if you're being very assertive, sometimes people can call you names. You know, you're being too bossy or bitch or whatever. And that's because you can't manage the tone, the relationships, the how you behave. Assertiveness doesn't have to be aggressive. Being assertive has to, you have to know how to manage your tone as well as the context around that. And that's why people could feel like, oh, they're being too bossy or they're being too demanding, whatever. If you can understand how to control your behavior, then it's easy to understand other people's behavior. You will at least make an attempt to understand them. People don't like asking questions and answering to questions, but it's it's sometimes difficult, right? But if you can ask that difficult question and make an effort to understand that person better, I think you can develop solid relationships. I mean, that's kind of how I've grown in my life. You know, you don't always meet the the favorite people you want to work with. So you, you, you get to meet difficult people. So you need to kind of try and understand them as well. And also grow yourself and, you know, maturity comes with that. Getting these soft skills and emotional intelligence skills, you can learn about it, but becoming really good at it is, is another story. Because some people, you get, they get them, they're people people. Some people get them naturally. Some people mm. don't. 
and especially with neurodiverse communities they, they don't always have those skills so if you're not a neurodiverse person you need to be able to understand these people identify these people and then if you don't have good emotional intelligence skills you simply will struggle to work with these kind of people now communities are full of different types of people from different backgrounds so as our threats right our cyber attacks come from all over the place and mm-hmm. that there's always a human behind that so we don't know where the human coming from which background they uh, grown up in and then also what country what their motives are what their beliefs are so if you can't understand your threat actors then it's very difficult to fight cybercrime i think Johnny, there's someone listening to this podcast that feels anchored to their background, to who they are, their circumstance, what they look like, their gender, but they feel like they want to pave their own way. They want to have no guardrails on their life and their career. What piece of advice would you have for that person that's listening right now? I will look at my goals. I will set a plan in place. So say, for example, let's say in three years time you want to be a CISO and I would look at doing a SWOT analysis first now this is the technical side I'm explaining I would look at what my weaknesses are what my strengths are where I am today and where I want to be and then I will get a plan in place to achieve these things in that plan I will include what kind of training do I need to have to be a CISO in three years time what kind of mentors do I need to have? What kind of experience do I need to get? And then I will go on about finding this help, training, and the job I need to have, get people to help me, ask people for help. And I will try and stick to that plan and work through my goals. Don't let other people define who you are. If you want to get to somewhere, don't find excuses. Just go and do it. If you kind of think, oh, I'm not good enough, I, I don't have this, I'm this, that, that's never going to help. Don't try and compare yourself with other people. And also jealousy. Something I've seen in past is that people get so jealous when someone is doing well. And I don't know how it's helping them. What's the point? What is it going to accomplish? You know, you're just being jealous and it's, you're suffering inside. That's because you compared yourself with someone, right? And don't envy people who are doing it because every person, you know, who, who is successful and doing what they do, there's so much backstories that you don't know about. Some people have gone through a lot of hardship and they're working very hard and they don't know all these things. Just because you see something on Instagram or, or Facebook or LinkedIn, whatever, thinking, oh, this person so successful, it doesn't mean that their life is like a sunny story. People go through a lot of things in life. So I always say don't compare If you want to achieve something, get a plan in place, get help, and then try and attempt to do that. And if you fail, that's fine because you've tried it and you learn from those failures and you move on. Tani, thank you so much for hopping on the mics with us today and giving us the incredible words of wisdom and sharing your story. For the folks that want to stay up to date with you, your business, and all the great things that you're up to, what are the best ways that people can do that? I'm quite active on LinkedIn, so you, you can connect with me on LinkedIn, but send, do send a message because so that I know you are not a bot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you can also join the She Sees a Community that's also active on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter as well, not very active on Twitter, 
those are the social media platforms and if you want to reach out to me on my business the website is uh, www.metadefenselabs.com you can reach out to us at info at metadefenselabs.com as well yeah i'm all over the social media so you will not have problem finding me it is not hard for anyone to find you at all i will leave all of those links and resources in the show notes and also a link to your TEDx talk. I thought that was really powerful. Everyone can be inspired by listening to it. Really appreciate the conversation, Chani, and we'll see everyone next time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was been a pleasure. If you enjoy our content, it would mean so much to us if you shared this episode on social media, told a friend, or wrote us a review on your favorite podcast streaming platform. 